This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 35. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hello, everybody. Did that get your attention? That got my attention. What's going on, everyone? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. A big hello to all of our listeners and an even bigger one to my co-host, Brandon Turner. Hey, Brandon. What's up, everyone? I want to apologize for Josh's loud, obnoxious yelling at the beginning of this show. <laughs> wow. Okay. Starting it off on the right foot, aren't we? There we go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are things going? Things are good. I burned myself on my lawnmower yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I Weren't like you supposed totally to be like while you were mowing your lawn. No, maybe it was Sunday. It was Sunday. I burned my like, yeah, terrible. Anyway, <laughs> apparently, uh, lawnmower gets hot and you're not supposed to touch that little metal thing on it and melt your skin to it. That's why there's a big uh, warning triangle on it. And 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 for anyone listening, this is also why you may not want to take <laughs> advice from Brandon Turner if the guy can't figure out how to not burn himself on a lawn lawnmower, you know. Well, I'd have to know how to read in order to know how to read a warning label. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Well, I'm glad things are going mostly well, except for your poor little boo-boo. Yeah, I got a Band-Aid. Yeah, he does. It feels better. Good, good, good. All right, guys. So we've got uh, we've got a pretty cool show for you today, and, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, before, before we do... Uh, da, da, da. Now that's the isn't that the death march? It is. Okay, so so Brandon is playing the death march, and, and I think he's playing the death march because unfortunately, or fortunately, which which <laughs> <laughs> whichever you think, to this today we're we're gonna be featuring the last of our quick <laughs> Yep, plural. Today is is the last quick tip. Uh, you know, we may decide to bring it back, but uh, anyway, this is the last quick tip, at least for a while. Uh, instead, we are going to be starting a a new segment on on the show, and and we'll get into that. So there there are you know there's so many great quotes on on each of our shows, and what we want to do is we want to encourage you to leave uh, a quote uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, or G plus from this interview. Uh, with a link back to biggerpockets.com slash show35 and be sure to use hashtag biggerpockets, one word, in a, in a tweet, your Facebook status, or of course your, your Google Plus status. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick one person with our favorite quote and send them a free digital copy of the Bigger Pockets book on flipping houses and Bigger Pockets book on estimating rehab costs. And of course what we'll do is we'll announce the winner on, on next week's show. So you've got a week to get out there, listen to the show, find your favorite quote, and share it with everybody and link back to uh, uh, the uh, show notes here. Yeah. So, the, uh, the important thing is the hashtag bigger pockets, one word, because that's how we're going to be able to track it. That's right. So. That's right. And, and hopefully that'll help us to spread the word about this awesome podcast and all of our future podcasts to come. Yeah. So that is today's last and final quick tip. Quick tip. Yep. Yep. All right. So on today's show, we are going to talk with 
Paula Pant uh, from affordanything.com. Paula is a awesome, really funny lady. Uh, she's a personal finance expert who's uh, actually been featured on NPR. And of course, she is also a contributor to the Bigger Pockets blog at uh, Bigger Pockets. And uh, as, as, as you guys know, you know, a, a lot of our guests have done dozens and dozens of deals. We, we've had everybody from you know, super experienced investors to, to some folks who just finished their first deal. And uh, uh, we, we wanted to talk to Paula because she actually hasn't done a huge number of deals so far, but she's very, very successful in finding just incredible deals and buying smart, uh, which has really been helpful to her. Uh, you, you know, there's there's a lot of great stuff in here, particularly about personal finance and saving and preparing yourself to uh, to get into uh, the uh, the real estate game. And you'll actually learn about some of the properties that that she's picked up. A uh, lot lot of fun. Anyway, her her blog Afford Anything. Uh, I guess it it you know the way uh, she describes herself. She's a a journalist, a globe trotter, an entrepreneur, and of course she's a a real estate investor. She's really interesting. Let's, uh, let's bring her on the show. And, and before we do, make sure if you've got any questions for her, jump on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show35 and uh, hit her up and uh, let her know what you want to know. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. Hey, Paula. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we are happy to have you. 
We are indeed. All right. So Paula Pant, tell us your story. How how'd you uh, how'd you get started? Actually, you know, even before that, what'd you do before you started investing? Well, uh, in my early life, I was a newspaper reporter. I uh, worked for three years at a traditional newspaper and then decided, you know what? I don't really want to have a nine to five job anymore. So I saved up some money while I was working, quit my job, went and just sold all of my worldly possessions and traveled for a couple of years, um, roamed across the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, just hung out for years and years doing absolutely nothing. And then nice. when I, it was awesome. She's a nomad. That's cool. <laughs> I, I am an, a committed nomad. <laughs> awesome. And at the end of it, I was like, man, I'm going to eventually run out of money and then I'm going to need a job. <laughs> How can I avoid this? And so that's when I started thinking about ways that I could build um, just streams of passive cash flow. And voila, real estate was born, at least in my life. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. That's nice. awesome. That's, that's so, cool. That was very, that's very like four-hour work week of you. Was that inspired <laughs> from the four-hour work week? or? No. You know, honestly, when I read the four-hour work week, I was like – I could have written this book. Like, <laughs> yeah, a fact, third grader could have written that book. <laughs> the first time I read it, I didn't feel like he was saying anything new and I didn't understand what the hoopla was because I had had that mentality for so long that, you know, I was like, yeah, of course, this, this stuff is obvious. I don't get it. I, I don't get the hype. You haven't read it yet, Josh. You got to read it and then you'll get it. You'll get the hype. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon has been preaching this for like 34 episodes of the <laughs> everyone, yep, yeah, everyone. So, Four hour yeah, break. Yeah. All right. So, so th this this whole epiphany comes to you as you're, you know, as you're. She's, you know what? She's the most interesting woman in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not selling beer here. <laughs> All right. So you're traveling the world. This epiphany comes to you. You're like, oh my god, I'm going to get into real estate. Uh, what next? Well, really, when I was traveling the world, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to figure out some way to avoid having a job. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure what that would be. I thought I would be freelancing. But, you know, I tried that and I still do that. But as a freelancer, you're still fundamentally trading your time for money. And I just wanted to get out of that. I wanted to avoid that. So um, not really knowing how I was going to avoid working, but determined that somehow I would, I came back to the U.S., moved to Atlanta, started working as a freelancer so that at least I don't have to go into an office and I can wear pajamas but like 24 hours a day. And she is nice. wearing pajamas right now, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and while I was doing that, I was renting this like uh, terrible little apartment and just crunched the numbers and thought about what my landlord was making and thought, hey, I could do that. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, it was the year 2010. We were in the middle of the greatest housing clearance sale of my lifetime. Yep. So that, that was instrumental. That helped a lot. Um, and I looked across the house across the street had a for sale sign in it. So I bought it. Nice. It was k kind of an impulse buy. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was looking at a purse and I decided to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. I bit off way more than I could chew. I started with a multi-unit fixer-upper, a 110-year-old multi-unit fixer-upper. Um, so that was not the ideal way to get started, but it was. I definitely just threw myself right into the fire 
and learned by, you know, sheer force of will. Nice. So, so do you still own said property or? I do. I am sitting in it as we speak. Ah, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> do you mind me asking like what you paid for it? Like, is that- yeah, of course. So my of first property. Minds. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first property is a triplex, three units. Um, I paid two hundred and twenty-five thousand for the initial purchase, and I've put about sixty thousand into it. So I'm in it for about two eighty-five. Okay. Now I, my boyfriend and I, live in one of the units. We live rent-free, so not counting the fair market value of the rent that we're eating up. The rest of the house rents for $3,550, plus gives us an additional free place to live. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. You know, Brandon, I th- I, you wrote a post on why, I, I think you wrote a post on why you should uh, start with a multifamily. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah I'm a, Exactly this, didn't it? Yeah, I'm an advocate of that. Um, I did that with my, I bought a duplex. It was the, yeah, it was my second house I ever got. And I lived in one half, rented the other house, half out and lived for free. Same thing. It's is awesome. Nice. So, yeah, and yeah. I'll I'll link to the I'll link to that kind of story in the uh, in the show notes at uh, what are we at biggerpockets.com slash show thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. 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 And uh, listen, I mean, I think it's I think that's an awesome, awesome, awesome strategy uh, for for folks starting out. You, you know, you you get the experience of of managing. You get the um, income uh, deferral. Is that the is that the right word? Am I am I thinking right? Um, you get free rent. Yeah, you uh, get free rent. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if if the numbers work out, you get you got free free rent. You get the experience of of having somebody sitting on the other side if it's a duplex or you know other people in a triplex, and and uh, you really get to learn whether or not this is for you, right? So totally, I, and it helps. I mean, especially as a beginner, it helps no being right there, so that if you have to quote unquote rush to your property to fix an emergency, you live there. You don't have to drive anywhere. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Um, for those people who want to like, l- I guess, hear a little bit more about that same strategy on podcast 25, I think it was, which was the newbie podcast, we interviewed four people and uh, one of them, the first one was Nicholas Stevens. He's doing the same thing, bought a triplex. I think he was in Boston. So anyway, that's a uh, biggerpodcast.com slash show 25 if you want to check that out. So, And the, the only real thing that I would say as, as far as a negative on something like that is you know, you do have the downside of of actually living next to your tenants, and and there there are certainly negatives that go with that. Maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about some of those. Sure. I mean, honestly, honestly, I think that what it's done is it's weeded out the partiers. I think it's been a, a real positive because people who want to create a ruckus typically don't want to live in the same building as the landlord. Yeah. Um. So that's been that's been the big blessing of it. I guess the downside is that issues, minor issues that normally people would never call their landlord about. They feel comfortable just telling me about because they happen to see me every day. So, um, you know, somebody will come to me and be like, oh, I don't think this works. And I'll suggest the most basic solution that I think any other renter would jump to trying before they'd place a phone call. So, I mean, yeah, there's that. There's that minor inconvenience. But why is it dark in here? Turn the light switch <laughs> on. Oh, that's a great idea. We have a uh, in our apartment buildings. Every single unit has like a light switch that turns on. You know, a lamp um, outlet somewhere in the room. Like I don't know. That's how they do it a lot out here on the West Coast. But every tenant asks me that question. They say, "Hey, th- that light switch is broken." I mean, every time they say it, and I'm like, it, "I have to explain. It runs an outlet. 
put a lamp into it. That's why there's no light in the ceiling. And so every time nobody there gets it. Go. There you go. All right. So you, you started with rentals versus, you know, doing other, other kinds of investing. You mm-hmm. said it was, I guess, a bit of an impulse buy that, that first one. Uh, w- once you kind of got there, was there any reason that you decided to stay with, with uh, you know, rentals versus kind of getting into flips and stuff? And, and of course, you haven't quite said that that's not what you do, but uh, I'm presuming. Oh, that's, that's not what I do. There, there you go. Well, um, like I said, my goal is to travel the world without having a job. Uh, so I'm interested in monthly cash flow, passive cash flow. And rentals to me seem like the best way to do that. So once I bought the first house, once I bought the triplex and saw how much passive income it could bring in, I, I got addicted. And then I just started loading up on rentals. Nice. Nice. And, and did, did you all, uh, did you focus always on, on multis or did you go to single family houses? What, what, what's your strategy been along the way? No, I love multis, but my next three have been single family houses in part just because the, the cost of entry is cheaper. I mean, I love multis. I would love to have another one or two or 10, but, uh, but yeah, no, the, the, the next three that I bought were single, single, single. Okay. Um, where are you buying them all at? All in Atlanta? All in Atlanta. Okay. And um, all in the, the same neighborhood or do you look around? No, no. They're scattered among different neighborhoods in Atlanta. Um, I've stuck to Atlanta, A, because I know it. I live here. Uh, I've lived in three pla- three cities in the U.S. And of the three that I've lived in, I, I like Atlanta the best. And just personally, I'm not comfortable investing somewhere that I haven't lived in. So that's what made the made the decision for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, and you know, different people are going to have different criteria for what their comfort level is. And I, I think what's what's important is that, that you know, you clearly understand what that is for you. And, and for anybody listening, you know, they also understand this, the, the same factor for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm by no means am I saying that this is the, the right way to do it. This is just my my comfort level, my risk tolerance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, are you buying properties that require work or are you buying uh, properties that are kind of quote unquote turnkey? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, the first, the first property required a ton of work, lots of it. It uh, choked me whole. Um, and every property since then has been progressively better and better. The first one required the most work. The second one required a bit a fair bit of work, but less. And then um, by the time I bought number four, it was pretty much ready to move in ready. Right on, right on. So I'm, I'm going to ask a question. I'm guessing other people are, are probably thinking at this point. So you, you, know, you were this nomad traveling the world who burned through all your cash, and then you went and bought this three-unit property. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about doing that? Well, the, the first one I bought with just traditional bank financing. Okay. Um, and then after that, the second one I actually bought in cash, but that one only cost $21,000. So I'm sorry, how much did it cost? (laughs) That one only cost $21,000. This was for a (laughs) doghouse. Very fancy one. This is for a three, two, a single family three, two in Atlanta, in Atlanta. No kidding. Wow. (laughs) It's not Detroit, right? I promise you, <laughs> this is Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay, okay. I put uh, I put another ten thousand into it, so I'm in it in total for thirty one. Okay, and what is what does that rent for? I think Brandon was nine yeah. hundred a month. Nice. Wow. So th- that's like the three percent rule, like uh, Don was talking about a couple podcasts yeah, ago. Exactly. That one. That one's been one of my favorites. That one is my favorite. Is that uh, you know now that we're talking about that particular property and uh is is that uh 
in a, a tough part of town or, or you know, how, how does one find a $21,000 house? It's, it's tough-ish. It's not a part of town that I would necessarily want to live in, but it is a part of town that I'm comfortable going into. Sure, sure. And, and how, did, how did you go about finding a, a deal that's a, a 3% or, you know, I don't, we, we haven't quite done the math on it, pres- yeah. presuming it's somewhere around that 3% number, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I look at a lot of houses before I buy one. Um, I, I just searched and ser- I probably searched for a good eight months before I found this one. And then once I found it, particularly because it was a cash deal, I just, I jumped. Yeah. And was it on MLS or was it just for marketing that you found it? Uh, it was on the MLS okay. and I was talking to a real estate agent who also led me to it. Um, after that, I went and got my own agent's license. So now that now I can search the MLS on my own. Ah, okay. So uh, that's helpful as well. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so, so you know, you, you pick up this, this you know, $21,000 dog mansion um, <laughs> And, uh, I, I, I guess at that point, you know, moving, moving further along to other properties, were, were those also traditionally finance or how did you do that? Um, so I've, I've also used private lenders. Okay. So I've, I've gone sort of, I've, I've done it. I've done a little bit of it all. I've done banks, I've done private, I've done cash, I've done it all. Yeah. Cool. And uh, any quick tips on the private stuff? Uh, just network, meet people, just, yep. just go to your local organizations and start talking. Perfect. And, and who's doing the work on all these houses? Do you do it yourself or your boyfriend or how does that work? Uh, you know, that's changed a lot. When we bought our first house, the triplex, we thought that we were going to do all the work ourselves. In reality, that was uh, that thought was born of us not valuing our time. Um, it was such a big project. It took so long. I just, it was, it was a big mistake. And it, honestly, I think, I feel like it held us back. So we learned from that, and ever since then, we've been outsourcing everything except for the property management. Nice. Okay, so you do you do manage all your own properties? Uh, all except for the twenty one thousand dog mansion. Oh. Oh, okay. That one. That one I shipped out to a property manager. Nice. nice. And, and any reason why? Was it just because of the neighborhood, or uh, because of the neighborhood and the tenant quality that I would get there, as well as the fact that that one is half an hour drive from where I live. Okay, so yeah. just. Every time I go, it's an hour round trip. That's too much. Yeah, and and I'm curious, curious on on that property because it's in a tougher part of town. Presumably, the uh, the the screening is is a lot more challenging. It is that correct? I definitely get a lot of prospective tenants with credit issues, and yeah. so it requires uh, having to make some judgment calls. Uh, yet another reason why I'm glad to have a, a property manager. Nice. So you you still travel though a bit, right? I mean, like I know. I see you a online. Lot. You travel, yeah. So, how do you <laughs> how do you manage your stuff while you're gone? Do you have any good you know tips on managing? So, the one that has a property manager is taken care of. The other ones, I get just an interim property manager when I'm gone. I pay them a flat fee to babysit the houses, and I mean, half the time nothing happens, and they've just gotten the the PM has just gotten some great free money. Uh, but when they when stuff happens, it's great to have them there. Yeah, that's awesome. I never, I didn't, never really thought about having an interim uh, property manager. So that's cool. Usually, I just like grab my family and my mother-in-law and say, "Hey, will you answer phones while we're gone?" And hopefully, nothing bad happens. <laughs> yes, Brandon, I'll answer the phones. <laughs> I'll make sure I, uh, I'll let my mother-in-law know you're uh, yeah, don't, mocking don't, her on the podcast. <laughs> don't, don't let her listen. Yeah, hopefully she was not listening. 
<laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, yeah, you will be. All right. So, uh, um, yeah. So you travel uh, still. Um, I do. I'm cool. a, I've been to 29 countries at this point, and I'm Whoa. about to go to country number 30. Cool. Where are you going? I'm just I have no idea. Nice. But I need to get there sometime in the next month because I promised myself 30 countries before I turn 30. I turn 30 next month. So uh, Go to the smallest country in the world. Go to Andorra. <laughs> Unless I you think count Andorra as the smallest country. Unless so. you count Vatican City. Vatican City. Yeah, some yeah. people count Vatican City as a country. Uh, some people yeah. don't. I don't know. You know. <laughs> and I have to stay there for at least a week for it to quote unquote count. Oh, really? Yeah, you better yes. go. I can't just, you know, go to the Frankfurt airport and claim that I've been to Germany. Like, <laughs> nice. that's not fair, you know? Nice. So I have to stay at least seven days for, for it to, to count. You know, now that you said the 30 before 30, now that's like my new goal. So um, <laughs> I think I've got like 10, so I'm, I got a ways to go. But I'll do it now that, now that, now that you said that. I have to. Nice. It's I now, challenge you. Yeah. <laughs> now that's out there in front of, what, 13,000 people or whatever. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so why don't we why don't we talk a little more on the managing properties thing? Because uh, yeah, I think that's something that most of our listeners probably have a property or will soon have you know rental properties. So uh, we talked about why you're traveling. So what about like working? Like you still do like you said freelance stuff, and you probably mm-hmm. do other stuff for a job. I'm assuming to make money. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what you do, but <laughs> I, I, nobody I, really knows. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, so I work for myself. I do online marketing and freelance writing. Okay. And, uh, and, and honestly, having a flexible schedule is super helpful because if I need to run out at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, I can do that and just sort of make up the hours later on in the evening. Uh, I have no idea, honestly, how a person with a very inflexible job would be able to do this because I, I can just I can pick up a phone call in the middle of the day. That's not really a problem. Yeah. If you do have an inflexible job, get a property manager. I mean, they're great. And uh, one piece of advice that I often give to people is when you're running the numbers on a rental property, even if you plan on managing it yourself, run the numbers as though you're going to hire a property manager. That way you can, at any point, remove yourself from the equation and the numbers don't change. Well, not only that, but your time is actually worth something, right? Exactly. So you have to account for that time. If, if you're not including your costs, your time, right. your energy in, in the equation, you're... Then you're doing creative accounting. Doing creative exactly. accounting, exactly. Because, yep. uh, you know, there's a difference between active income and passive income. Ultimately, I think most of us are in the rental property game because we want to make passive income the active income that we pay ourselves as a result of doing the actual property management. I mean, that's, that's a different thing entirely. But it's a cost. So, so yeah. And you know, yeah, may, it's may, cost. maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I, th- I think a lot of new uh, landlords really screw the pooch when, when they under, uh, under account, right? They mm-hmm. say, Oh, this is, this is great. This property is going to cash flow. Yeah. The mortgage is X. The rent is Y, mm-hmm. so cash flow is Y minus X. Cool. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, obviously that's not true. Right. And there's things like CapEx and, and other expenses that you're going to deal with. Um, you know, m- maybe we can kind of talk about, you know, things like that. What, what, what kind of, you know, random occurrences have you dealt with? And I'm guessing some of them have probably popped up more frequently on that $21,000 house. Sure. Oh, random expenses that I've dealt with. One time, a storm knocked over one of our trees onto the neighbor's property, and it cost us $2,000 to get it cut and hauled away. Ooh. I mean, 
stuff like that. That stuff happens yeah. all the time. Just this morning, I met with an HVAC guy because uh, the, while I needed thousands of dollars of HVAC, emergency HVAC work on one of my units, um, that, that stuff just happens. It's par for the course. And so when you're running the numbers, just just over account for that yeah. because it will happen. Yeah. And, and, and I think where, where so many landlords fail is they don't do that and they end up buying a property and not having enough reserves, right? They don't have the cash yeah. sitting on the side. And when something like the tree falls on the neighbor's property and you got to, you know, pay the two grand out of pocket, they don't have it. Right. Right. Exactly. And then exactly. the other investors come in and scoop it up because they're <laughs> now a desperate landlord who's trying to dump their por- portfolio, right? Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and to what you said earlier about people, especially new investors, thinking that the mortgage is this, the rent is this, and therefore I'm set. uh, You know, we sort of made the same mistake when when I impulse bought the triplex. Honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't thinking about vacancy and how expensive that is. I wasn't thinking about the cost of hiring a property manager or and and like I said, we did a lot of the work ourselves at least in the beginning and we were paying ourselves zero for our time, which is creative accounting. It was a huge mistake. Fortunately, we happened the year happened to be 2010 and and we happened to be in the right place in the right time and the numbers worked out in our favor, but that could have easily gone the other way. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you do you feel though that because you did all your own work at the beginning, like like you like, let me try to phrase this correctly. When I like started my, out, <laughs> when I started out, like I did everything on my own. I did all my own work, mm-hmm. and I look back now and say, "Man, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done all yeah, my work. I wasted forever." Exactly. However, mm-hmm. when I look back, also I say I probably wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't done my own work. And now I don't know if that's true, but do you feel that way at all? Like, do you feel? I, mean, I know earlier you said you maybe it held you back, but like you maybe wouldn't have bought that triplex because you would have had to pay that sixty thousand dollars would have turned into two hundred thousand if you hired it out. Like, is there anything like that? I think that I'm the type of person who likes to learn lessons the hard way, and so you're right. I if I had seen the big number of what the repairs would have cost, I probably would have been sticker shocked and not bought the triplex. So in that regard, yeah, I guess it was good that uh, that I wasn't accounting for hiring it out. Although in hindsight, when I look back on all of the evenings and weekends that I lost, time that I could have spent searching for my next property, I mean, wow. Yeah. That's a huge lesson there. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Right That's- on. So so what are your, your goals? I mean, obviously your goal is to to pay for your, you know, uh, what is it, seven days and uh, a week in every country around the world. <laughs> but, you know, is is there a goal above and beyond that? Are you are you sure. just trying to create this portfolio to to support your travel habit or, or do you want to become, uh, you know, some kind of magnate? <laughs> so according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the average American household makes somewhere in the neighborhood of about $50,000 a year. I think it's about fifty-two or 53000 a year. So I've set that as my benchmark. If I can make, if I can make in passive income as much as the average U.S. household earns, that's my definition of financial freedom. That's that's uh, that's a tweetable topic right there, Brandon. <laughs> that is. I will I will be sure to tweet that and add that to the show notes, which are right. at uh, biggerpockets.com slash show thirty five. See, I haven't screwed up this time, Josh. I've been saying Not it yet. correct every time. Not Not yet. yet. I'm, There's I'm still time. I'm counting on it. I'm counting <laughs> on it. Yep, yep. Well, cool. All right. Yeah. So all right. So you you 
are a blogger as well. You blog for us on Bigger Pockets. You write about, you know, you write about your real estate um, on your own site. You write about personal finance and things like that. Correct? That's true. That is all true. Okay, so you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about the personal finance stuff because you know, a, I think it's a topic that we probably need to be talking about a little bit more on Bigger Pockets. And it's a topic I don't think we talk about enough. I think that's the same thing. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, anyway, disregard what I said. But my my point was, <laughs> did I have a point, guys? I don't know. But I can jump in here because I, yeah, I, I was actually, me. I was reading your blog this morning for a while, actually, because you're kind of preparing for this interview. And one thing I noticed that you're, you're very like, maybe not anti, but maybe anti, like pinching pennies. Like you're not about clipping coupons and spending eight hours getting the 12 cents off a you know, roll of toilet paper. Um, right. I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit and like why why are you different than most you know personal finance bloggers and your advice is a little different. Why? Well, I very much believe that the human brain, like your mental bandwidth is incredibly limited. There's only so much that you can focus on. You're talking directly to branding, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. I, I, with Josh being the exception, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. And uh, given that limited mental space and that limited mental energy, it's important to focus only on the stuff that's going to move the needle. Focus on the stuff that's really going to change your life. And I'm sorry, but clipping coupons is not going to change your life. That's That's my philosophy. That's my belief. You can disagree with me if you want. But that's what my blog states. But but what about those like extreme coupon people? Like, <laughs> those guys those guys have they have got like seven thousand rolls of toilet paper in in a shed somewhere, and they save hundreds. They might have even paid like five bucks for it because they put all these coupons out there. I mean, come on, that's what, cool. What are the property taxes they're paying for that shed? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's funny. Oh, what what about uh, another thing you talk about on your blog a lot is lifestyle design. And those who have read the four hour work week know what that phrase means. But for those who don't, what is lifestyle? What, what? I don't know because I haven't read. You it. haven't. What is <laughs> what is lifestyle design? So a lot of people say, "Oh, I would love to do X, Y, Z, but I can't because." And then they'll talk about how their job won't let them, or their some circumstance of their life won't allow them to do that. I say, put your lifestyle first. You'll figure out what kind of life you want to lead and then force everything else, your career, your all of your life circumstances, make those fit that ideal lifestyle. I am envious of you and your philosophy. <laughs> well, you can have the same philosophy. Then you got to implement it. That would be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. No, I, I when I read the yeah, four-hour work week, I love that. Um, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I know a lot of people have very opinionated views on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but almost every guest has said that's one of their top favorite books. But in mm-hmm. in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, there was a line where he said, uh, don't ask, don't say I can't afford it, ask how can I afford it? And yes. it, that was one of the most like fundamental like changes in my mind when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad was that question of, because like, I grew up in a family where it was, you can't afford this, we can't afford this. And everything was that. And that's, I think, a huge part of what lifestyle design is, is not just shutting your brain down and saying no. It's saying, right. well, well, how do I get there? Exactly. And, and, exactly. Yeah. When I, I mean, when people find out that I travel, the first question they ask is, well, how could you afford that? Or worse, they say, oh, I could never afford that. Yeah. Um, and it's just not true. It's, it's just simply not true. Like, you can afford it. You can do it. You just need to make it a priority. Uh, this is uh, totally not real estate related, but I'm curious. Do you have any tips? People who want to travel more uh, cheaply, how do you do it? Uh, 
just do it. Just start doing it. Uh, for me, it was helpful to go to countries where the dollar exchange rate worked in my favor. Um, it's a huge blessing to be able to earn money in U.S. dollars and then go spend it in Laotian Kip or Thai Bot or Nepali rupees. Uh, so start there. You'll get the hang of it once you go to some of those countries. And once you learn some of the basics of shoestring travel, you'll then have the skill set to be able to go shoestring travel in in euros or in pounds. You know, you'll you'll be able to get to that later. Okay, so hold on, hold on. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out here a little bit. We 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 we're, we're talking about shoestring travel, and, mm-hmm. and just like a minute ago or two, we we were talking about not pinching pennies. So, mm-hmm. now, are we talking about shoestring travel because Brandon brings it up, or are we talking about it because does that work in the same line as pinching pennies? Yeah, absolutely. The my anti-pinching pennies philosophy comes from preserving your mental bandwidth and your mental energy. So, if you've got a clip coupons and stack double things on top of rewards points. It just adds this layer of complexity to your life and weighs down your brain. But if you're in Thailand, I mean, you can walk into a restaurant and get a great dinner for three bucks and that doesn't require any mental energy. That's just what it costs. True that. True that. I had my honeymoon in, in Thailand. So it's, it's, it's awesome. Go, go places where the dollar is, uh, is strong and you, you know, you, you've got it. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to fundrise.com slash pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. We're always looking for ways to improve. 
searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. So let's let's jump back back into into finance here a little bit um debt mm-hmm. uh is is there good debt bad debt or or is all debt just bad debt i definitely think there's both good and bad debt in fact i don't even like to call good debt debt i like to call it leverage um that being said you know i i think that good debt is this not a lot of people think that edu- all educational debt is good debt i disagree with that you know i think there are definitely student loans some student loans are good and some are bad. Um, some primary residence loans are good and some are bad. But if you're leveraging into a rental property that cash flows, I support that. At least up to a limit, I support that. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so so then if if some debt's okay and, and then we're, we're really talking about debt that helps you kind of build your, your passive... Uh, your passive income, then mm-hmm. then that would be okay. I'd uh, say positive cash flow debt is good, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that works. That makes sense. Yeah, because I mean that goes back to the whole a- asset liability thing, the whole rich dad uh, thing that that is. Yeah, you buy things that make you money, even if it costs <laughs> you some, you're still making more. Exactly. Um, yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. All right. So on your blog, you wrote an article called, you want to know what sucks? Cubicles. I'm wondering, do you have any advice for those who are in cubicles and hate it? Get out. Get (laughs) out. (laughs) Life is too precious to spend it doing something that you hate. I mean, you've got to spend the majority of your waking hours at your job. So do something that you love. And, And I know that it's a cliche, oh, follow your passion, blah, blah, blah. And in fact, I have a nuanced view uh, of the follow your passion advice. I believe that largely passion is a result of uh, the work that you do rather than the other way around. If you go in and you do the work every day, you'll develop a passion for it. But that's only true up to a certain limit. If you are in a cubicle or in an oppressive work culture doing something that you will never get excited about, get out. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. I'm an oppress. I am in an oppressive work environment right now. I've got Brandon <laughs> harassing me every day. Every day. I've got. I've got. You know, all these people are yelling at me. Those so- are your kids, Josh. They're supposed to yell at you. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, pretend it's not me. Pretend it's somebody else, right? And uh, I'm. I'm. I'm in a cubicle. H- how do I go about kicking this thing off? Hey, you know, I want to. I want to be like Paula. I want to travel. I want to quit my my job. I hate my boss. You know, I want to take a bat to the printer, like office space <laughs> style. 
you know, what, what, what do I need to do? How would somebody go about starting to do exactly what you've done? First, save up a big batch of money, which sounds daunting, but it's really not because you, you run on people. A lot of people just run on this hamster wheel and fritter away money. They work these jobs they hate and then they spend money to make themselves feel better about it. Quit doing that. Uh, stop eating at restaurants. Stop spending money on junk. Uh, save up a big ton of it and you'll feel a lot more psychologically secure about quitting. Pick up a couple of freelance opportunities or consulting opportunities. Pick up some clients. Create a side gig. Test drive it while you're still employed. And once you're making a bit of money at it, then cut the string and go at it full time. Yeah. And yeah. in the meantime, um, create multiple streams of passive income uh, through through traditional investments like index funds and mutual funds, through rental properties, just create passive income in addition to having side gigs. And I, I don't know if, if most most people know this, but that that's pretty much what I did. You know, I was I was actually teaching high school in Los Angeles uh, at a special ed school uh, when when I when I started Bigger Pockets and and. You know, the long long story short, I I was working on this business for years while I was working full time on another job and putting all my effort and energy into that other job. But every night, every weekend, that's all I did. And one day, I wasn't making nearly as much when I quit as as uh, I was when I was working the job. But I I knew I saw there there was a potential. So. I did that, you know. I, I had picked up the rental properties, and and I eventually did that. So that's it's a great path if if you can follow it. I I know a lot of people, a lot of our guests, I think uh, that we've talked to on the podcast are kind of working towards that or have already done that. So that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. That's awesome. That's great. That's a great yeah. story. Yeah, I've got good stories once in a while. <laughs> well, if I could add to that, I think one thing that I th- I think is key for people is to have kind of a plan for where you want to get to. And I don't know, maybe you guys don't agree, but if you want, if you need two thousand a month in passive cash flow to quit your job, then mm-hmm. you know, figure out how you're going to get that, and then start get going towards that direction. A lot of people just end with that whole "I want to quit my job," and that's as far as they ever take it. They don't know what right. that actually means. Well, they forget they get frozen at that point because yeah. they they don't have the plan to and or, or a path to get there. Yeah, right. And, right, that, and exactly. that's where, and, and that's where like, you know, shameless plug, the, you know, the bigger pockets forums, like if somebody goes on there and says, Hey, I want to, I need to earn this much money. I want to do it in five years. Uh, I need to earn 3000 a month in the next five years. Can somebody help me with a plan with this? How can I get there? Like you'll get dozens of guys who have actually done that very thing to jump on and say, yeah, let's, let's work this through this together. And, and there's no cost to it or anything. So anyway, that's my shameless plug for the forum. So jump on. <laughs> but anyway, so do you have any tips then, you know, for people who, Maybe they're want to quit their job soon. They need to start saving up for their first investment property. I mean, you talked a little bit about not eating out and uh, those kind of you know saving money tips. Do you have any other, I guess, good ideas for saving for that first investment property? Sure. Uh, I mean, saving money is not rocket science. Like I've got, I wrote a post recently called "Radically Redefine Necessary Spending." Uh, a lot of the stuff that people think is necessary is actually just discretionary. And if you really think long and hard about what you actually need, um, you don't really need that much. And, I, you know, I don't know how a lot of a lot of the listeners, I don't know how you lived, uh, if you went to college, how you lived during college. For me, when I was a college student, I was completely broke. Um, I graduated debt-free, but I was completely broke the entire time that I was there just trying to make ends meet. 
And when I got my first job, I continued to live at that lifestyle. Uh, and it, it was instrumental in helping me quit my job after only three years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and I, I think you bring up a good point about living at a specific lifestyle level. And, and I think what, what, happens you know you see these nfl guys or you know baseball players that that go broke and and the reason is as people Mm -hmm. i i think it's just programmed in us right as you as you make more money you need to spend more money you need a bigger house you you know you gotta go hang out with the 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 fancy people and wear better clothes and all sorts of stuff and and uh, that's a quick way to burn through cash right exactly so pare down i mean if you hate your job pare down to the basics Save that money towards putting a down payment on your first rental property. Uh, start picking up, pick up a side gig, pick up some clients, do some consulting work, do some freelance stuff. There are so many opportunities out there. I mean, just so many. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one of those, one of those opportunities is something that both you and I have done and that's starting a blog. I mean, not mm-hmm. that that's the world's best way to make money, but you know, people do make money that way. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the blogging, uh, kind of the benefits of it. And you talk about real estate on your blog. And do you think that's a good idea for other people to do as well? Sure. Yeah. A lot of my readers uh, love the real estate posts. Um, on, on my blog, I'm very open about what I paid for each property, what it rents for. I run the numbers. I, I talk about the 1% rule and cap rate and this and that and the other. And I think my readers really appreciate that level of disclosure and that level of transparency. It does get a little bit awkward when uh, when my tenants find the blog and see <laughs> how much of a profit I'm making on their rent. Yeah, uh, that's happened at least once, and that was that was kind of awkward. But you know, um, I, I still I still would recommend it. Yeah. I, I had a tenant two weeks ago Google me and uh, <laughs> found out everything. Yeah, yeah that was fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's and that's, you know, one of the one of the downsides of living next to your tenant. And it's it's one of the reasons that there there's a you know, a fairly strong debate. Um we've we've seen some, you know, uh, posts and stuff about this on bigger pockets where, you know, a lot of people will advocate if you're the owner of the property, you know, first of all, you you know, you buy your properties uh in in entities to to protect yourself, but um because you know, once once you do that, you are now no longer the the owner of the property. The entity is so now you can actually you know rightfully so many will argue, and and I think I would agree with them. You're now the manager of of the entity, so to speak. So you you know you're as a result a manager of the property. So you know I think people see a distinction between particularly tenants, uh, owners and managers, and and you know they'll beat the hell out of an owner and they'll be a little nicer to a manager potentially. That that may be true, but at the end of the day, they'll they'll still Google your name. And if you've blogged about what you paid for it or what your company paid for it, they'll still know that that profit and loss data. Yeah. Um, so if you want to blog about your your properties, that's just something that you have to be willing willing to go through. And for me I am because the benefits far outweigh the costs. Yeah. So- yeah, and what what benefits? Uh, you know, are you are you finding additional deals? What you know? What I guess the benefits for you then are in terms of just you know that passive income you get from your blog at this point, correct? Uh, yes, yeah, some of it is passive income that I get from my blog. Although I don't know if I'd call it passive because I passive, do all the work of blog, maintaining right. a blog. Yeah, um, and a lot of it. I mentioned that I I do freelance writing and online marketing. Um, all of my clients these days come as a result of my blog. 
It's basically the blog has turned into a giant dynamic business card that serves as a lead generator and that people find me through. Nice. So, and you um, might get a couple more people after this podcast. <laughs> Be prepared. You know, one thing one thing that I thought when I started blogging that I advocate everyone should do it. It's because it helped me to clarify what I was doing as an investor. It helped me to kind of like, as I was writing out these posts of what I wanted it to do and what my plan was and how you should properly screen a tenant. I mean, I, I wrote that super, super long post on Bigger Pockets on uh, the ultimate guide to tenant screen, which I'll link to in the show notes. But after that, I realized like this is the ideal way to screen a tenant. I should follow this every single time. So why don't I? Why do I somehow sometimes slip or sometimes let other people in? But by blogging, it really focuses you on what you should be doing because you're teaching other people how to do it. Exactly. You know, they say that the best way to learn is by teaching. And so if I'm blogging about real estate and about career and money and lifestyle design, I'm I'm learning a lot by virtue of teaching it to others. Yeah. And I love that quote because, you know, you, you just explained um, why the gurus continue to teach because they're just trying to learn and they, they need to catch up and, and figure it all out. And, uh, well, you know, that's why people should come to Bigger Pockets instead of paying them thousands and thousands of dollars for information that they're still learning. Right. <clears throat> How <is> that? <laughs> Ouch. Burn. Well, hey, speaking of burn, let's move on to the fire round. Fire, fire round. Yeah, that was dramatic. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was dramatic. I like it. <laughs> All right, this fire round again. I'm nervous now. You should be nervous. All right, the fire round are quick questions, quick answers that all gen- or they all come from the Bigger Pockets forums. So these are questions that people are asking every day on the site. So if you're listening to this and you have a question, go ask your question in the forums. We might pick it. So. Uh, first question, what is the best piece of financial advice you've ever received? Ooh, I would say, and this comes out of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I would say that wealth is measured in time, not in dollars. That's good. Uh, wealth, wealth is a function of how much free time you have. Sounded like something Yoda might say. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki, Yoda, same, uh, same thing. Uh, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. All right. that, that goes back to passive income as well. If you've got enough passive income coming in that you've got all the time in the world, you're wealthy. Yeah. End of story. Uh, even if it's 50000 a year, the average household, you're wealthy. And I think it's the, you know, that, that really does depend on the, the definition by the individual, right? Some people see wealth as having hordes of cash. Others see it as you know, having a family that they can spend time with. And uh, yeah, but I, I, uh, I agree time is money. Yeah, I I just think that wealth is measured in in freedom. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be the freedom podcast. Freedom. <laughs> yeah, your new nickname, by the way, you have to change the name of your blog. You're going to be the, like the traveling nomad or something. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so I'm a college student looking to invest in real estate. What do I do? Well, you know, I don't know if I would. Uh, it's it's hard to be a college student. You've got to hopefully get straight A's, do well in school, and try to graduate debt-free, which unless you're independently wealthy means also working. I don't know if I would add investing in real estate to that platter. I would just focus on being a college student, wait till you graduate, study study while you're there, study, get a mentor, but I don't know if I'd jump into the game, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that's smart to, to like what you said there, just stay out of debt. Like if that's the only thing you graduate from college with is no debt, like that's successful in my mind. 
I yeah, guess. absolutely. Awesome. No debt and uh, and a, like magna cum laude, you're you're good to go. Yeah. All right. So credit cards and real estate, do they mix at all? No. No, they don't. I wrote a post on Bigger Pockets about this and was called an extremist for thinking this. <laughs> you uh, extremist! <laughs> what are you doing? But no, uh, the credit cards can jolt up into double-digit, scary, scary APR. Uh, avoid them. I, I am willing to be an extremist on this one. I happen to agree with you. So you don't do any travel hacking with credit cards and... and uh... Oh, yeah, I do a ton of travel hacking, but I pay them off in full every month. There's a difference between using a credit card as a proxy for cash with the money that's currently in your checking account versus actually carrying a balance on a credit card. I disagree with carrying a balance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one. Pay off debt or invest in real estate? That's a tricky one, and I would say that it depends. Uh, Payoff, if you're talking about double-digit credit card debt, then pay off your double-digit credit card debt. If you're talking about a car loan at 2% versus making the down payment on a rental property, I might make the down payment on a rental property. Again, that's all up to a certain limit. Um, You know, after four or five properties, you might be sort of at the end of your risk tolerance and wanting to start paying them down rather than accumulating more. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it depends on the interest rate. Debt is just too broad of a term to make an umbrella statement. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. All right. What should somebody with terrible credit do as a first step towards fixing that credit? Get a secured credit card. This is a credit card that almost anyone, even people with bad credit, can qualify for, and it will help you establish a credit history. Use only up to 20% of the available balance on your secured credit card. And just do that for a while and, and let time go by. Time is the biggest healer of bad credit. And for those who don't know, what is a secured credit card? It's a credit card that's issued by a bank in which the amount of money that you can borrow is backed by the, the cash that you have deposited there. So there's no way that you could default on the loan because the bank could just take that, that cash that you have backing it. Okay, so you're basically borrowing from yourself in a way. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And you can do it interest-free by paying it in full, and it just is a great way to rebuild credit after you've dinged it. Perfect. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, so should a new investor begin with a multifamily like you did or or stick with single-family for a first investment? That's a great question. Go with the one that's going to give you the best returns, And by returns, I mean something that's going to give you a big fat margin of error because you're going to make a ton of errors Uh, in your first property, especially. You're going to make a lot of them. So go with the best deal. That's great. That is really good advice. That's awesome. All right. uh, House, speaking of that, somebody mentioned the other day that we say awesome too much on the podcast and that we should have a drink. Yeah. We should have a drinking game. I think Don said that to me. We should have a, there should be a drinking game where every time we say awesome, Somebody takes a shot, so maybe someday somebody can uh, send us a video of that drinking. I've been I've been game. taking shots since <laughs> the beginning of this podcast. This recording. <laughs> What's your name again, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, exterior paint color for a house: boring or should it stand out? Stand out for sure. I I took this a little bit too far the first time I painted a house, and uh-huh. I. 
I painted it like Smurf blue. <laughs> and I, I had to tone it down a little. So uh, it's toned down, but it still definitely stands out. Okay, I want to know what happened. So you painted Smurf blue and like, you know, did, did the neighbors start throwing <laughs> eggs at you? What happened? Pretty, pretty much everybody's jaw dropped. You, you could Actually, I had, a, I had a tenant ask. She was like, oh, so does the siding come in that color and then you just paint it later? that's That's really funny all right uh last uh last question for the fire round is uh what is the uh your favorite country that you've traveled to and why that is a really hard question because uh favorite in what category is it favorite for the food favorite for meeting locals favorite beaches oh just throw out a country my goodness (laughs) (laughs) i would say if i could go back to anywhere uh Bali in Indonesia, um, Italy, Nepal. Uh, she didn't answer the question. That's three answers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Myanmar. I want to throw in Myanmar. Nice. nice. <laughs> Burma. Aren't you? Are, aren't we like not allowed to travel into Myanmar? Did you have to sneak in? No, no. Uh, it's easier to get a visa. Here's a here's a tip. A What's secret it? insider's information. The easiest way to get a visa is to go to the U.S. Embassy in Vientiane in Laos. Uh, it's way easier to get a visa there than to get approved from the U.S. So just fly to Bangkok, catch a bus to Vientiane, get approved for a visa, and then go back to Bangkok and catch a bus to Burma. That sounds like a uh, you know worthwhile venture. It's make, Burma- make sure you swim across the uh, Arctic <laughs> Ocean somewhere in between. I mean. Uh, Oh, cool. Sure. Well, I, I have to admit that that question was not from the forums. I just really yeah. I wanted, I wanted to know, so I threw it in there. Nice. All right. Nice. So cool. Let's well, move on. We are moving on to to a a, a section of our podcast podcast <laughs> called the famous four. Do you like our harmony there? Was wow. Good. Yeah. We're, you guys we're just calling us opera singers. We we did. We have. We definitely have. All right. So what is, Paula Pan, your favorite real estate book? From zero to 130 properties in 3.5 years. Is that uh, actually the title of a book? That is, that is the title of the book. Oh, it's nice. written by an Australian. I believe his name is Steve McKnight, though you might want to fact check me on that. Uh, and, uh, well, he's Australian, so you have to ignore all of his tax-related information, but the rest of it is awesome. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Take yes. Take awesome. A Take a shot. Take a shot. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite non-real estate business book or personal finance book? Ooh. My blog. Well, <laughs> we've talked about four-hour work week, which I still swear I should have been the one to have written that because <laughs> – I knew all that stuff before Tim Ferriss said it. I promise. <laughs> he and I were of the same mind. Nice. Uh, but I recommend that to a lot of people. Um, I, it's a great book. It summarizes my philosophy on life really well. Nice. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. All right. And, and hobbies. And you cannot say travel. So while, whilst, whilst traveling, whilst. what hobbies do you partake in? Snowboarding, snorkeling, hiking, uh, just being in the wilderness. I like being outdoors. And you're not so. like snorkeling while snowboarding. <laughs> not yet, but I'd be willing to try. Nice. Get a, get a video of that. That sounds and awesome. reading. I do love reading. I read a lot. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. All right. Final question of uh, our interview today. What do you believe sets apart the successful investors that you've come across from uh, from those who just 
I don't know, give up, fail, quit, don't even start? Optimism. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's all about that. Do you have the drive? Do you want to do it? It's success is 99% mental. So just have the right mindset. Don't bog yourself down with details. Be really ruthless about what you allow your brain to focus on and what uh, declutter your mind. I'm a big advocate of decluttering your mind. Um, I think that's what sets them apart. That's awesome. Oh, I Good said answer. it again. Good Shoot. answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was outstanding. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. All right, Paula. Well, listen, we, we definitely appreciate having you on the show. Love having you as a contributor to the blog. And, uh, you know, lots of really, really good feedback and advice here for folks, particularly on the, on the personal financial stuff. Uh, I, I definitely want to want to thank you. Where, uh, where can they, where can folks learn more about you? What's, uh, what's the name of your blog? Afford anything. Afford so anything. you can find me at afford anything.com. Nice. Excellent. Well, we, uh, we thank you again for being on the show. And, uh, of course, people who have questions for you will be sure to catch up with you on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 35. Paula, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks, Paula. All right, guys, that was Paula Pant. Paula was awesome, the, uh, the traveling nomad. I, 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 I like that whole uh, concept of, of being anywhere and just kind of chilling out and living passively off your, uh, your cashola. That is, that is the dream. That is indeed well, something. What's, inter- well, what's interesting is you can tell Paula works hard at everything she does. She just works hard and plays hard, which is kind of the, the goal, I think, for me anyway. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I yeah. think it's great, and uh, she's uh, she's a smart lady who's who's doing great things. So uh, it was very fun and very interesting to talk with her. Uh, for those of you guys who have made it this far, thank you very much. Of course, want to remind you about the death of our quick tip, and the last quick tip that we spoke about was uh, sharing uh, your favorite quote from uh, the show. So please do that if if you want to be in the running for a free. Uh, Bigger Pockets book on flipping houses or and book on estimating rehab costs. You can find out more about the books at biggerpockets.com slash flipping book. Uh, otherwise, uh, definitely, definitely make sure you're following us on, on various uh, networks like Facebook and Twitter and G Plus and share our content, share our show, share our stuff. That helps spread the word about Bigger Pockets, gets other investors, people that you know on the site. And helps you and everybody else potentially do business and learn. And, and the more people we can get on the network, the, uh, the better it's going to be for everybody on the network. That's the beauty of a site like BiggerPockets. So hopefully you can help us expand the community. So we'll definitely be seeing you as you uh, uh, participate with us on our other networks. And of course, see you back on BiggerPockets. Make sure you are engaging and hanging out and participating. And... Uh, that's all I got. So uh, if you got questions for Paula Pant, ask it on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 35. As for me, I'm out of here. I'm leaving it to Brandon. This is Brandon Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Here to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Yeah, did you really think I would let you sign <laughs> off? That's not that. That's not happening.
Do it. Do what? Sign off. Do it. Do it. Do it. There we go. Do you want to say your last line? (laughs) He's going to let it hang. Let it hang. This is Joshua Dorkin signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.